are you? No. I can start now. <laughs> Good morning. Hope all of you are well. You feeling the hour that you lost? I don't know. Had a good group at nine and grateful for all of you here at 11. Um, I'll be minister of announcements briefly. The youth are having a bonfire hangout and worship at 522 Duncan Road, which is where uh, Brooks' parents live. This evening from 7 to 9, if you have any questions, Bryson was still around, so I think um, see him, but we will be having hot dogs and chips, and that will be after the ordination service. Now, tonight at 6, we are having a deacon ordination service for Giles and Alan, and I, there you are. Giles, you can be here tonight, right? <laughs> okay, put him on the spot. No, we already knew that. So... Uh, we're grateful for those two guys and their willingness to serve. And so tonight we're going to have a social distance ordination. So it'll look a little different, but we're going to pray for them and encourage them and set them apart for that uh, ministry of, of service in our church. A few, wait, one other announcement. Um, we are having an egg hunt on the 31st. That's a Wednesday uh, from 6 to 7, and we would like to have pre-filled eggs, or candy that can go in eggs. So Erica's coordinating that. Thank you. And if you have any questions, please see Erica. And I saw we're going to have an ice cream truck, which is exciting. So um, we're grateful to be able to do some things this year that we were not able to do last year, like D-Now. Our students had D-Now yesterday. I'm grateful for Bryson and Catherine and those who helped with that. But if you remember last year, that was one of the first things that got canceled because of COVID. And a year later, I'm grateful that we are able to do what we can do and, and still meet in person. Um, a few prayer requests. If you know Miss Lois Gaither, her son Anthony Taylor died this week. Let's be in prayer for their family. Uh, Miss Yvonne Folds mentioned this morning a friend of Katrina's, Jake Thompson. Who's in need of prayer? Um, I want to thank Kelly Moody for mentioning Blake Ivy, who's been in the hospital this week, but he is improving. That's John and Amy's son, Blake. Any other prayer requests or announcements? 
Nothing. <laughs> Let's stand. Brother Paul Sackerson, would you lead us in prayer, please? And Catherine's going to come and lead our singing. Good morning. We're going to begin worshiping this morning with singing Here I Am to Worship.
worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. I'm going to take a cue from the um, Sydney who led our worship yesterday at Denal. She said, let's sing that verse one more time, but let's sing it as our prayer. And so as we open up this service this morning, we're going to sing that chorus just one more time. But I ask that you just close your eyes and, and sing it as a prayer this morning as we open up our, our worship service. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. We're going to continue worshiping this morning by singing how firm a foundation. Father God, Lord, I just thank you so much that we are able and um, willing and just um, empowered to come into your house this morning, God, and worship you, God. Lord, to just tell you that, that we're here to worship, God, because you are lovely and wonderful in everything we need, God. And Lord, as we just sang, God, Lord, I just pray that this morning we'll be reminded that you are a firm foundation, God. Lord, I thank you for yesterday and the work that you did in the youth who attended thee now, God. And Lord, I just thank you um, for 
for just allowing us a day to dive into Genesis. And Lord, as one of the youth in here said yesterday, God, as we studied the Tower of Babel, Lord, she said the tower couldn't have gotten too high because it wasn't built on the right foundation, God. So, Lord, may we be reminded that you are our firm foundation, God. Lord, you are what we need to be rooted in. And sometimes if it seems like everything that's supposed to be happening just seems to be scattering, God, that that may just be your way of of refocusing us and showing us what um, we need to be rooted in and where our foundation should be, God. So, Lord, I just thank you for that, and I continue to pray for our youth that you just build that ministry and be with Bryson as he leads, God. And, Lord, right now I pray that we have faith like children as we open up your word to continue to study Luke this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you will remind us each of the calling that you've placed on our life to further your kingdom and to share the gospel, God. Lord, just um, speak clearly to us through Pastor Neil this morning. May your uh, your word be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, as the children leave for Children's Church, the rest of us turn to Luke chapter 6. It's a beautiful spring day, and with spring come, for some of us, allergy issues. So pray for me as my voice has been a little strained. Uh, Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. But you know me, I'm going to read verse 11 for context. Last week we saw how the controversies that surrounded Jesus had led his opponents to plot finally to destroy him. So while they are plotting the destruction of Jesus, God the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit also are meeting and planning in providence and sovereignty to use that, that destruction, that murder of Christ, to, to bring salvation to the world. And so as this unfolds, while the opponents are plotting, Jesus is building the foundation of his church. So we need to see the transition between where we were last week to where we are this week with the call and the choosing of the twelve apostles. I find it interesting in Luke 6.11 that it says they themselves, that is the, the rising opposition to Christ, they were filled with rage. And they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. So their rage and their anger is sowing the seeds of later the crucifixion. Because Luke records in verse 12 that it was at this time in other words following the awareness of this rebellious uprising against God's son it was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God so they were having one type of meeting while God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are having Another meeting. Now, which meeting you think is ultimately going to control the outcome? (laughs) They think that they're controlling the narrative. They think that they're going to eliminate Jesus. And they are going to 
murder Jesus, but in the providence of God, God is going to use that for the greatest of reversals ever. So he's spending the whole night in prayer to God, and when day came, look at verse 13, there's a new day dawning. The darkness of the enemies, the darkness of evil, the darkness of this plot against the Son of God, but a a day is dawning. So he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. Now that sounds to me like from the disciples, and there were many of them, he chose 12 out of those to be his special appointed messengers and representatives. Verse 14 begins the list, and at the top of the list is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is at the first is at the very beginning of all the lists in the New Testament of the apostles. So Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John. Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas. James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. He's at the end of every list of apostles. Notice as I read that, the organization, 4, 4, and 4, adding up to 12. There's harmony there, there's order there, and I think that all that's intentional. It kind of reminded me of Galatians 5, where you have the works of the flesh, and they're, they're haphazard and they're disordered. But when you come to the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So... The, the way this is recorded, I think, is, is beautiful and it's telling of the plan and purpose of God, even, even including Judas. So verse 17, he descended with them. He comes down with them and he stood on a level place and there was a great multitude of his disciples, these followers, And a great throng of people from all over, from Judea and Jerusalem, the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And they had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. So Jesus puts on another clinic. Well, the multitude, they were trying to reach up and touch him. For power was coming from him and healing them all. All. Now I'm going to get into some of the Sermon on the Plain that Luke records in verse 20 because it's all tied together and I think it helps make one of the points I want to make this morning. So look at this. He turned his gaze on his disciples and he began to say to them, teaching them this new way, this new way of thinking and living that's counterintuitive. It, it's the way the opponents of Jesus uh, naturally are living, but, but Jesus is presenting this new way. And he says, blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you. Spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of God. Excuse me, Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its instruction and its light. Thank you for loving us enough to have us gather on this beautiful Sunday morning to fellowship with one another and to feed our souls and our minds from from your holy word. May May it encourage us, may it convict us, may it point us to Christ and our need to be his followers and and his messengers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there's a transition to something new. The rising opposition to Christ is related to some of the controversies as to how the Sabbath is observed, uh, what takes place in synagogues and temples. And it's apparent that Jesus is heading in one direction and his opponents are heading in another direction. And Jesus, in this particular passage, is making preparation for the fact that in just a short while, he is going to be killed. So what we find taking place in this text is that he is making plans for his removal and for his followers to continue the work. He's making preparations to be replaced. And we've said this before, God buries the messenger, but he continues the message. Well, in the case of Christ, the cornerstone of the church, God buried the messenger, but then he raised him up from the dead. And he continued to work through these 12 ordinary men. So let's think about this calling and choosing and what we're we're supposed to learn from what we find here in Luke 6. Now, I want us to see that there are certain things that we know about these guys and how this story unfolds that it teaches us a lot about the gift of discipleship. It teaches us a lot about the gift of his choosing and what that means for us because we can look at the story and we can see what it meant for them and by implication we can see what it means for us. So on this new day, following this plot, Jesus establishes a new people of God. Isn't it interesting that there are 12, and one of them's going to later be replaced, and there's going to be another one later on down the road named Saul, also called to be an apostle. But at this point in the story, The Jewish people would have read this and thought to themselves, well, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and now this guy is calling to himself 12 leaders. An inner circle and an inner core of 12 representatives who are going to continue his work. The implication here is that Jesus is establishing a new order. He is reconstituting the people of God around himself, and his work, and we know that this is ultimately going to be a global, multi-generational work, and you and I are recipients of what these 12 initial apostles began under the leadership and authority of Jesus Christ. 
So God in Christ is forming a new community around Jesus and his apostles and his disciples. He's setting them apart for his work and for his glory. Now, when I work through this and I think about him choosing from the crowd of disciples, the twelve, my mind went back to times in my life when I've been chosen to do certain things or maybe rejected from doing certain things. Because obviously God makes no mistakes in his choices and that's why we find Jesus praying on the mountain all night long before he makes this significant move to choose who he's going to choose. This was not haphazard. It was not willy-nilly. It was not, okay, well, I'll take that one, and why not that one over there? No, this was intentional. This was sovereignty at work. This was providential. So it's like the captain of the team choosing people, and he's saying, okay, I'll take Simon Peter. I'll take Andrew, James, and John. Here's the captain choosing the inner core. We're going to continue to do his work. Now, now you've been there. you you got two captains, and they start picking up guys, and I'll take this one, and you take that one, and you take this one, and you take that one. And at some point, somebody's saying, what about me? <laughs> you know, Oh, you wait, and you have next up, right? You're not part of this group. So imagine the significance of these 12 being called and chosen by Christ himself. And the, the emphasis here is that it is, Jesus' initiative. He's doing the work. And later on in John chapter 15, he's going to remind them, you did not choose me, I chose you to be my disciples and to be my followers. He set his love on them and he chose them. He chose these 12. Now, each of these 12 have different stories. We know that some of them are fishermen. We've already heard that. One is a tax collector. One named Thomas seems to have a lot of doubt, right? A a lot we don't know about them. Um, I see John Mark back there, and John Mark has recommended to me on occasion a book called Twelve Ordinary Men, right? John Mark and I have talked about this, and I was like, I need to call him and read this book before I preach the sermon. Because that's what we have here. Jesus choosing 12, well, not so ordinary now men because we know the rest of the story. So the initiative is is of Jesus. It's his work. It's his will. Thus we see Luke starting off with why, you know, this this whole night of of intimate prayer. Um, Notice that these are apostles and disciples. A disciple, by the way, it means learner. It's a student. We're all disciples of someone or something. But here we find life in the New Testament under a better master, a better teacher, a better ruler, a better shepherd. That is Christ himself. And these twelve have a special role of being his leaders and representatives who will be have special significance in sharing and continuing the message and the work. The other thing I notice is that there is a, a bit of a foreshadowing, I think, in my opinion, 
with the multitudes who are gathered around Christ. Notice that Luke records in verse 17 that as Jesus comes down with them and stands on a level place, what's the description there around him? There's this great multitude. A multitude of people from all over who are reaching up and touching him and power is coming from him because he is, he is the word become flesh and dwelling among us. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. And he was healing them all because he has power to call, forgive, and transform all of them into new creations. He is reversing the curse. But the book of Revelation, this is what I think it foreshadows, tells us a little bit about where all this is going, where it's recorded that a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, and all tribes, and all people groups, and all tongues, have gathered before the throne of the Lamb. This is an amazing scene in Luke 6. But this scene in Luke 6 is the seed of a greater scene that's going to take place in the future where people from every group, every tribe, every language will gather around Christ. So on the plane here in Luke, they're thinking, man, this is a, quite a group. There's people from the coast. There's people from Jerusalem. This is just the beginning of the success of the mission where God has told these people, like he did the first people, be fruitful and multiply. We get that physically. And the earth's population continues to grow to innumerable multitudes. But spiritually, that is also to take place within the church. And it begins with these apostles. He's going to tell them, be fruitful and multiply. In a spiritual sense, the work of Christ and His grace. So, this is a work of grace. None of these men deserve this. None of these men merit this. None of them have earned this. This is God in Christ redeeming them, taking them out of what they were and into what He is. Primarily, the call to discipleship is a call to Christ Himself. After all, He called them to Himself. A lot of times we get lost in trying to figure out where do I need to serve, how do I need to serve, what are my spiritual gifts, where can I serve in the church, where can I serve in the community. And all those are wonderful questions which we must get to an answer. But primarily the call is to Jesus himself. It is a call to a love relationship with God through his son. And that's our, that's our primary uh, message is, is that we need to be with him as we are sent by him. Well, what do we get out of it? What are the grace gifts that come with this relationship? Well, the rest of the New Testament works all this out, but I think we have it here at the beginning with the choosing of the twelve some of the expectations, some of the basic expectations that every follower of Christ, if you trust Him, believe in Him, and follow Him with your life, here's your discipleship starter kit. And all of us will get this in Christ. We'll get a new identity. The twelve got that. We'll get a new character. 
The 12 got that. They were changed. We'll get a new family. The 12 got that. They got each other. You'll get a new mission. The 12 certainly got that. And you'll also get a new destiny. The 12 got that. So what I want us to see in these 12 men, the apostles, that by implication, all disciples of Christ get these as gifts which overflow from the relationship that we have with Him. These are the expectations. Now, we've learned to expect the unexpected. In 2020, we've beat this drum over and over, has taught us to expect the unexpected. I mean, who would have thought a year ago that we would be meeting at 9 and 11, spread out as we are now? None of us, well, some of us saw that coming, but count me as one of those who didn't, all right? But here we are. These are givens. These are not debatable. They're given. Okay, let's, let's back up. First, what did he say? Pastor Neil said that if I follow Christ, if I become his disciple, if he chooses me, then I'm going to get a new identity. And I say, absolutely, you will get a new identity. See, we know who these 12 men are. Without the choosing and calling of Christ, we would have never heard of them. But because he chose them, they got a new identity in relationship to Jesus, and that redefined them past, present, and future forever and ever. Now, the whole rest of the New Testament, and my temptation here was to walk through many verses in the New Testament which tell, which communicate to us who we are in Christ. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Where do we get our identity? Do we get it from our feelings, our emotions, from the world around us? Who defines who we are? Please tell me who I am. God's Word tells me who I am as I follow Christ. The church helps tell me, but the Word principally helps tell us who we are. We are chosen, called, redeemed. In the case of Peter, we're named and we're renamed. But at the root of this new identity is forgiveness. What do we get out of following Jesus? Well, primarily we get forgiveness. The first thing you and I need before we need a new life is forgiveness. We need reconciliation with God. And there are so many passages in the New Testament which go into detail as to what this new identity in Christ is like. Tells us we're chosen from before the foundation of the world. That we're, we're redeemed, we're purchased. I mean, I, I've got several places here. Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and the life I now live. Talking about a new identity. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the basic part of that identity is that I am someone who is beloved by God and redeemed by God, purchased by Christ, and now I'm part of this foundation. I'm part of the church. I was going to read Colossians. I think I'm going to do that. Colossians chapter 1. There's so many verses like this. It's a preacher's temptation to oververse you and to give you, you know, too much information to be able to process. But here's just one place in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. They didn't know this was coming back there. So 
I'll just read it. Giving thanks to the Father, Paul says, who has qualified us. Our qualification comes from Him. He gives us our identity. He qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints. I'm now a saint. Imagine that. In light. Because He delivered us from the domain of darkness, which is where the opponents of Jesus were, And he has transferred, we have transferred kingdoms. We've transferred, he has done it, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So as we struggle at times in our lives with an identity crisis based on different things that we face in different seasons of life, we can be sure that my ID card in the kingdom says... Holy, beloved, and forgiven. Forever, past, present, and future. What qualifies you to carry around that identity? Jesus qualifies me. He chose me, and he called me, and he called me by name. Now imagine being one of the twelve and hearing your name called. You remember the price is right? Come on down. You know, all that. Now, I don't know how it went when he called the 12, but I do know this. They tell us, whoever they is, that the one thing we love hearing more than anything else, well, probably not, one of the things we love to hear is our name. Miss Barbara, right? Mr. David, Kim Harper. We light up, right? God calling us and granting us a new identity that can never be changed, that is sealed and certain and secure because I'm still Neil and you're still you, but now we're in Christ. That's just number one. we got to get to the others. These are all givens. Number two, we get the gift of a new character. So he loves me as I am, but he loves me too much to keep me that way. He wants to change me and form me and grow me. So not only are these 12 forgiven, but they're also being formed. Though outwardly they're wasting away, inwardly they're being renewed day by day. And and what are we being formed to become? What kind of person are we becoming? Well, ultimately, God is training us and teaching us and forming us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others, our neighbors, as ourselves. He's producing in us the fruit of the Spirit, which we talked about earlier. He's producing in us agape love. He's cleaning out the old and and putting in the new. He's the potter and we're the clay. He's pruning us. He's shaping us to ultimately look like who? Like Jesus. So not only are you given a new identity, but you're, you're entering a new school where the graduation means to become more like Christ. And ultimately we will be like Christ, but it's going to take your whole life. <laughs> and we've talked about that a lot. And you've got to trust the process. And sometimes the process for you and me looks really ugly, and it, and, and it, it can be really painful. And the reason I'm thinking of that is, yet again, another spring, I've cut back my knockout roses and made my crepe myrtles look like crepe murder. (laughs) 
It looks awful, and it feels bad. It's counterintuitive. But I know, over time, this is, this is how it has to be. They're, they're growing, they're developing, they're changing. And the Bible gives us these images of, of his pruning and his pressing and his taking away and his adding in, forming you and I ultimately to be complete like Jesus. So not only do you have a new identity, but there's a process going on in your life inside and out. And God's using His Word. He's using people. He's using circumstances. He's using success and failure. He's using all of His resources to form and shape us into the character that He, that he knows we're going to be. The will of God, it grinds slowly, but it grinds exceedingly fine. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week, what, to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, but how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on us. So you take these 12 men and you start with the prototypical leader, Peter. His mouth, his sword, his denials, his guilt. There's a reason why Peter goes first and there's a reason why he's most prominent. is because we're to see in Peter so much of ourselves. And one of the most beautiful stories of the Gospels is the restoration and forgiveness and the ministry of Peter. There's a reason he's first. It's because, hey, if there were 12 of those stories throughout the Bible, we'd, we'd, I don't know, we'd never get formed. I say that sarcastically and jokingly, but, but we look to Peter to see that God is giving us a gift of a new character, but that is... That's a long obedience in the same direction, to quote someone else. Number three, we have a new family. I'm like that book that I've read to our children, Corduroy. He wanted a new family. He wanted a family. And all of us want a family. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The gift of a family. Here's what they had. Not only were they with Jesus, they had each other, didn't they? I mean, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, not only were they, they, they they're many of these couples brothers, two sets of brothers, but they became spiritual family. Now, God in Christ is meeting the first need of humanity, and that is for companionship and friendship. Why do we think God at the very beginning set Adam up and everything had a companion? Except for him. And God says to him, it's not good for you to be alone. You need companionship. Because God was and is in us. So we're made for relationship. And so he doesn't call any single one of them as a lone ranger. There's no solo flying here. It is a community project. It is a group project. And that's why when we come to the New Testament, we have all the one another's. Love one another. Serve one another. Honor one another. Care for one another. 
you find many of these same 12 men teaching this after the resurrection. Forgive each other. Count other people as more important than you are. Help carry the burdens of one another. Because discipleship, as I said, is a group project. It's a community event. It is a family. It's a building. It's a flock. It's a body. Let's go to Peter and hear what he has to say about this new family of his and ours. He says, all of you are a part of a building that's alive. It's you're living stones, rejected by men, but God has chosen you. You're choice and precious in His sight. Then He says some amazing things. Talking to the church, universal, you're a chosen race. Here's a race of people. The chosen. You're, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. The church is a race, a priesthood, a nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not even a people, you were lost. But now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now here's your identity. You're one of the people who've received mercy. Not what you deserve, but you've received what you don't deserve, His grace. And that's defined us, and it's brought us all together. And so when we gather around the Lord's table, and we break the bread, and we drink the cup, we are celebrating what unites us with our different personalities, our different backgrounds, our different talents and gifts. We belong to one another because we belong to Christ. This is my forever family right here. All of you who are in Christ. In 2020, we've talked over and over. We've lost some very special people who have been part of this body. But we haven't lost them. We know where they are. And one day, we'll be with them soon. In our most recent loss, Harry Robinson, I shared at his funeral that God used Harry to prove me so wrong. God's proven me wrong constantly. But I also posted this, so this is probably not new to most of you, but when we left North Carolina and loaded up our truck and moved to Beverly <laughs> like hillbillies, we left some very special people behind. That was emotionally tough for me because for six years, I mean, they kept our children, they brought us chicken soup, we had funerals, we had weddings, we had worship services, we had prayer meetings, we celebrated birthdays, we played ball. We did all that stuff together, and those guys loaded our truck up to the brim. And, just, and, 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 and I drove away from North Carolina, headed back home to Georgia, but I admit I was sad. Because those people had loved us. I mean, we had become family. But boy, God pulled one on me because waiting for me at our house on Rome Street was a man I didn't know named Harry Robinson. When I heard Harry was near death, I cried like a baby. And those of you who were at the funeral service said you cried like a baby at the funeral service too. You know why? Because I realized I was wrong. That God always has people in your path 
that you don't know about waiting for you at the next turn. And I have found that to be one of the most surprising things of following Christ is how God and, and transitions are very difficult. Death and loss, very difficult. Moving geographically, if you care about people, that's not easy. Changing jobs, that's not easy. But on the authority of the Word of God and the blessings of my personal experience, I will say that God has never failed to keep His family together at just the right time in just the right way. And all of you are a beautiful part of that. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And I had people at times tell me, why do you want to go into ministry? And I knew it was the right thing to do. For me, I knew God was, but I didn't know what the blessings were. I had no idea how special the family of God can be when everybody is being obedient to the one another's. So not only do we get a new identity, not only do we get a new character, we get a new family. <laughs> we get a new family. I, I'm just going to give you the last two. We also get a new mission. Hey, we're created to work. We need something to do. And God's given us something to do. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are salt and light. We are His agents, His representatives. We've been commanded to be His witnesses, to go and make disciples. Not everybody's called to preach. Not everybody's called to be a deacon. Not everybody's called to teach. But all of us are called to serve Him in some way, representing Him, reflecting His light in the kingdom wherever we go. Go! He tells them, come to me, right? And then He sends them out. And He says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The church, we are the called out ones and we are the sent ones. So you have somebody like my Uncle Jerry. Y'all know Uncle Jerry? He was a teacher. He was a principal. He was a... What all were you, Jerry? <laughs> a little bit of everything working in the school system. So Jerry posted this week something I thought was a great reminder to all of us that on his desk, when he was working for the Heard County Board of Education... He had a verse taped to his desk that reminded him every day that he worked for the Heard County Board of Education, but he didn't really work for them. But ultimately, he was working for who? For the Lord. Why? Because he's a disciple of Christ. So what I took from that was Colossians 3, 23 and 24. That was the verse. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. You're serving Him in whatever you do. So these 12, they had different gifts. They had different talents. They had different callings, personalities. But whatever you do, do it for Him. Man, that, that changes life. You're, you're no longer working for the weekend. That gives significance and meaning to everything that we do. That changes how you see the sacred time that you have to do whatever you do. We have a new mission. Last of all, we have a new destiny. 
we have a goal. There's somewhere where we're going. And if it doesn't matter where you're going, then any, any road will get you there. But it matters where we're going. And you know, these 12 men, almost all of them were martyred. But they did so faithfully and joyfully because they knew they had seen the face of the risen Christ. And they knew because of the resurrection that their destiny was to be like his destiny. To be raised and glorified in a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, so Peter, for example, says, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. So Peter was crucified upside down. But on the other side of that was a destiny and a glorification that far outweighed every difficulty and every loss that Peter had experienced. The Bible tells us without qualification that those who are chosen and follow, that they will be glorified and be like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. There is no better future. There is no better destiny. God has sealed us. And that's where we're going. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little children. The Father has chosen gladly to give you the whole kingdom. Nothing less. So I'll close with this. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, Well, I see where he chose the twelve to be apostles, but... How do I know he's choosing me? Well, here's the great thing about God. Not only does he choose, but he's chosen the way he chooses. He he chooses people through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He does the work. So I have some promises. Whosoever will. Whosoever will may come. Jesus in Matthew 11 promised, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The book of Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. I love John 6, 37. Whoever comes to me, whoever the Father gives to me, listen to this, I will in no wise cast out. He will in no wise cast out those who come to him. What a different path than the opponents of Christ. A new identity. A new character. New nature. New family. New mission. And a new destiny. Faithful is he who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that they counter the lies that we often tell ourselves, the lies we believe, the lies that come from the enemy and from darkness. You have light, and your words are life, and they lead to eternal life. So thank you for being the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for being the author and finisher of salvation. Thank you that you promised that if you've begun a good work in us, you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And we're grateful that you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. Thank you, Father, for your grace, your faithfulness, 
your patience, your perseverance with us. And as we go into our time of invitation, may each of us examine our own discipleship and whether or not we are following Christ, whether or not we are believing that you are, not only that you exist, but that you're a rewarder of those who, who seek you. May each of us give ourselves to you totally and completely during this time. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Wherever he leads, I'll go. you're here. Hope you and your family have a blessed rest of the day. Six o'clock this evening, you're invited back to the ordination service. Um, Catherine, will you close us, please? I was out with the doxology this morning singing together. Praise God from whom all blessings
fantastic week. We'll see you back this evening.